You might have heard about these couple of guys late last year, Sydney uh, Swans fan. Fans, on your right is uh, Jared, who's 13. On the left is his best mate, Mark, who is 12. Uh, Mark is blind, uh, but goes off to the AFL games at the SCG most weekends with a little radio, and there he listens to the game that he cannot see. Uh, Last year, as uh, people were sitting round about, uh, Mark and Jared enjoying the game, uh, the radio broke down, the batteries went flat or whatever. Without missing a beat, Jared started commentating for his blind friend of what was going on on the ground and people round about it who heard it thought that Jared was not just doing a wonderful thing but was giving a commentary better than any TV or radio commentator that had ever been heard of. Uh, I think now Mark doesn't take his radio along, but Jared commentates the game for him. Now Mark can't see what his friend Jared can. He can't see what most of us can see. Uh, I love coaching junior AFL, and in my under-9s team this year, I have playing the first ever blind junior AFL player. Uh, That's him there, number 31. Uh, He wears, he has about 10% vision. He can see that. That's his world. He can see what is directly in front of him. And he is now up to six rounds of playing AFL. He has taken marks. He has gathered the ball. uh, He has kicked two marks. He has kicked on the run. It is amazing uh, what he can actually do. But there's very much, very little that he can actually see. He can't see what what most of us can see. In John chapter 9, Jesus meets a man who can't see what most of us can see. Yet, he can see what others can't. John records this encounter for us because he is helping us to see. Through this encounter and what this blind man sees, you and I are supposed to see better who Jesus is. And by seeing Jesus more clearly, we will believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and John has written these things so that as we believe that, we may have life. Now, this encounter in chapter 9 is kicked off by the disciples' question in verse 2. His disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this might be a genuine question from the disciples, but I can't help thinking a bit negatively about them. Here they are, met with this uncomfortable moment of disability. In front of them is a man who is blind, who is living in poverty, he is suffering, 
And their first response in this uncomfortable moment is to turn it into a theological study group. Jesus, who has sinned that this man was born blind? Now, I know the feeling. Though I want to be, see them negatively, I know that's the exact feeling. It is more comfortable to talk about suffering than to do something about it. It is easier to talk the big picture and big ideas about poverty than to do hands-on practical stuff with a real person. R.C. Sproul warns us, social ethics must never be substituted for personal ethics. Crusading can easily become a dodge for facing up to one's lack of personal morality or individual care. So here Jesus does an important uh, 10-second interlude on suffering. Now you and I, we can, we can look at individual suffering uh, that, that happens round about us, that can happen in our lives when bad stuff happens, whether it's you've crashed your bike or crashed your car lost your car keys or lost your job. All these things I have heard have happened to somebody this week. Been diagnosed with cancer. When any one of those things happens, particularly to ourselves, we might ask the question, am I being punished? Is God doing this to me? Now it's always good and right to be conscious of our sin. Every single time where we are aware of the brokenness of the world and ourselves caught up in it, we are to be reminded in the brokenness of the world of the cause of that brokenness, the sin of the world and my sin. We're to be reminded of our rebellion against God and so every time we experience every bit of suffering and brokenness, we are to be turning to God in repentance and faith. But as we ask the question, which we do from time to time, am I being particularly punished because of this particular sin that I have done? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, Jesus does something particular and miraculous with this man in John chapter 9. Yet in a small way, all suffering can be a platform for the work of God in our lives. As we endure suffering, as we persevere in the midst of suffering... It's a platform on which God will strengthen our faith, our trust in Him and His goodness. As we go through that time of trial and hardship, God will use it to bring a new perspective for us on His goodness to us in the small things. 
Perhaps as we go through this time of suffering, it's a time where we are served by others round about us who God has placed us in community with, one to grow those around us in their love and service of another and for us to benefit from us. Through times of suffering, the work of God can be, a, can be through us being a testimony to others. Perhaps through it, we ourselves or others come to faith. And in God's good time, perhaps healing, even miraculous healing. Suffering is a platform for the work of God in our lives and in the world. And that is what happens here with this man. This man was born blind. He had never seen colours. He had never seen a sunset. Never seen the face of his parents. Did not know what he looked like himself. His whole existence is dark. And because he is blind, his world is even darker because he's poor. Yet Jesus brings him from darkness into the light. The work of God turns the life of this blind man right side up. Now when you and I hear of the work of God, we think an amazing miracle. Good news in the life of this man and as we hear and see of the work of God in the world and in our own lives, we think it is It is a blessing, it is a good gift, it is good news, it is a miracle. But the Pharisees who heard about this particular miracle, who heard about this work of God, they went, whoa, whoa, hang on here. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, but he does not keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees who were zealous for God's Old Testament laws and seeing that the, all of that was followed to the dot of the I and the cross of the T, they are more concerned about their neat religious rules than seeing the work of God, than seeing this miracle. They are more upset that Jesus is doing this work of God on the day of no work. But what Jesus does here is miraculous. A man who once was blind is given sight. We, we applaud uh, sight recovery work of, say, the Fred Hollows Foundation. We marvel at eye cataract procedures. But what Jesus does here is miraculous. It can't be explained by the man's neighbours. Some of them think that he's perhaps somebody else who just looks like the guy who used to be blind. Uh, the man's own parents can't make sense of what is going on when they are put under the scrutiny of the Pharisees. 
all the man himself can say is verse 25, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now this miracle is not so much about how it happened, but who did it. Remember, John wants us to see Jesus' miracles as signs, signs that point to who Jesus is. And while the Pharisees are blind to see it, the blind man has eyes to see who Jesus is. The blind man, who can now see physically, is the one who sees spiritually with clear vision. Have a look with me please in verse 35. Jesus heard that they, the Pharisees, had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Once, this man had never seen Jesus. Though Jesus stood in front of him, though Jesus spat in the mud and Jesus took that mud and rubbed it on his eyes and told him to go and wash in the pool that was sent, he had never seen Jesus. As the encounter continues on, the blind man who could then see, verse 11, knew Jesus as the man that they called Jesus. In verse 17, he starts to come to understand that Jesus must be some kind of a prophet. Verse 33, he recognises that Jesus, being able to do what he does, must come from God. As he encounters Jesus again, he now knows him as the Son of Man. He believes that he is the Christ. He worships him as Lord. This encounter for us is not so much about how Jesus does miracles, but who He is. This sign points us to who Jesus is. Jesus is the prophesied one of the Old Testament who will come from God to bring sight and life and light and will put the world right. Turn with me please back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. After Psalms, then we come to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 29. The prophet Isaiah, speaking God's words on behalf of God to God's Old Testament people, uh, speaks of what is coming in the future. God's promised salvation on an 
earthly, historical level that was looking forward to the time when God would bring His people out of exile and establish them back in the land. But for those who have eyes to see from God's perspective, God's eternal perspective, this is pointing forwards to the salvation, the ultimate salvation that would come in Jesus. Through His death and resurrection on the cross, as the suffering servant and the Son of Man who would come from God to bring the new heavens and the new earth. In chapter 29 of Isaiah verse 18, this is how that promise is described. Chapter 29 verse 18, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. The one who comes from God will bring healing for the, hearing for the deaf and sight for the blind. Then turn over please to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 5. Here it's expanded a little bit more with this great promise. Verse 5, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Uh, remembering some of the things that we've heard about Jesus in John so far, that He is the living water, who you can come to Him and you will never thirst. Jesus is the light of the world, whose light is shining into the darkness of the world, where the truth will set us free from that trap of darkness. Verse 7, the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It'll be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is a picture, a promise of the world that Jesus brings to bring sight, to bring life, to bring light and to put the world right. Novelist Robert Louis Stevenson grew up in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland in the 1850s. Uh, back in those days, before our time, well before our time, each night uh, someone had the job of going along the street and lighting the lamps. Carrying along their ladder and their torch, they would climb up and they would light the street lamp one by one. There might be some people here who are old enough or have lived in places long enough ago uh, to have seen this in action. Now, young Robert, as he saw this going on in the streets of Edinburgh, was fascinated by it. And he writes that one night he said to his parents, Look, look, 
there's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. This sums up Jesus' mission. Jesus came into this world. He accomplished many great and miraculous wonders. Yet his primary purpose is to punch great gaping holes in the spiritual darkness that grips our world. To bring sight. To bring life. To bring light. To put the world right. He is the living water. He's the light of the world. He's the one we're going to see next week in John chapter 10 who brings life to the full. He's the one who gives the truth that sets us free. The week after next in John chapter chapter 11, we're going to see that he is the resurrection life. Because Jesus has come in the flesh, because he has gone through death and out the other side into resurrection life, he makes all these things real. Sight, life, light, and a world put right. John is writing this down so that we might have this life with Jesus. He's written these things so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You've heard me say that before, haven't you? I said at the start of this year, my aim with John's Gospel is to try and make you bored with it. Now, you might get bored with me talking about it. You might get bored hearing me quote this verse to you. But you will never get bored with who Jesus is in John's Gospel. Keep reading it over and over again so that you might know with great confidence who Jesus is and that you might believe that and have life. You might be here this morning and somebody who is not very familiar with Jesus. Perhaps you know a little bit about Jesus, maybe even think you know him quite well. But you're not convinced that he is the Christ, that he has come from God and that he matters, not because he just makes a little bit of difference in the world, but he matters because he is the one who can give us true life. I want to encourage you, if that is you, please read through John's Gospel. If you don't have a copy of John's Gospel, come and see me. Uh, We've got some copies of it um, that you can take away and read. Read it in such a way that you want to try and get bored with it so that you know who Jesus is, that you might believe and have life. Now, this life that Jesus does give is not just something that we keep at arm's length. It's not that something that comes a long term in the future that we hang out for. But this life is a life that is caught up in Jesus' mission. With Jesus, we are caught up with punching holes in the darkness. You and I, we long to see a world that is flooded with Jesus' light. We long to live in a world where there is no darkness in any corner. We long to have a life and a heart where there is no darkness in it. We long to see the world flooded with Jesus' light, but for now, we're punching lots of holes. And it can look like 
these holes of light are spread far, far apart. It's so important and valuable for us to be gathering together week by week to remind each other and to be a testimony to one another that we are a light, that we are one of the lights that Jesus has punched into the darkness of this world. That is one of the very great benefits of being gathered together by God into a church, into small groups, into rubbing shoulders with one another in the community. Perhaps you feel like the world round about us is getting darker. Perhaps you feel like the lights in the world are getting further and further apart. Certainly at the moment, it feels like we're surrounded by Pharisees. People round about us who speak loudly, rewriting the rules to suit a worldview that has them at the centre. There are plenty of people around us today who are following a religious system that has man at the centre, where every I needs to be dotted and every T that is crossed and those who don't follow their Pharisaic way will be shouted down, will be silenced, will be put out of the public square because we might be somebody who recognises Jesus and sees him for who he is. Now these people I'm talking about are not really religious Pharisees, they're not from a Jewish background. But those who will seek to control the public square and the public space and will silence and and put out those who recognise Jesus. We will feel that this is a growing, spreading darkness in the world. Yes, the lights will be fewer and farer between, but this should be no surprise. We expect it. And we are not deterred. In the darkness of the world round about us, as we have caught up on mission with Jesus, shine brightly. Shine ever more brightly and be, continue to be used by Jesus to keep punching more holes of light into the darkness. As we winsomely and lovingly share our testimony to who Jesus is, as we are generous in loving good deeds to one another and to the world as we simply stand firm in belief. Know and expect and do not be surprised that the world round about us is dark. Do not be surprised by the Pharisees who will try to shout down and silence those who recognise Jesus. But know also that Jesus' mission still goes on. Jesus says in verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. <laughs> 